You're listening to the Home Staging Show podcast. I'm your host Nilin. This is a show where we talk about all things real estate, home staging, and how to create a vibrant and thriving home staging business. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 164. Hey guys, as you know, Seventeen Hats was our main sponsor at SagerCon 2021. We recommend Seventeen Hats because it was a critical part of our home staging business and free us up from lots of paperwork, admin, and chasing clients with emails. So that we can focus on what we love to do, which is staging. If you're like us, you probably didn't go into the business for the paperwork. You know, all those invoices, emails, reminders, to-dos, and just the incessant chasing after client for paperwork. So that's where Seventeen Hats comes in for us. It's like you cloned yourself. Their all-in-one platform automates your staging business. Seventeen Hats handles the tedious stuff like payment reminders, capturing leads, proposal invoicing, and even scheduling. We actually created a resource guide for you on our site. Just go to sagetrimmer.com/slash-seventeen-hats and find out more about how we use Seventeen Hats in our home staging business. If you're a current Seventeen Hats user, we would love to hear about your story too. You can submit your Seventeen Hats story on our site at sagetrimmer.com/slash-seventeen-hats. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Home Staging Show podcast. I really cannot believe it's already October, and we just finished our very first international retreat for Sagers last Friday in Italy. And it was absolutely a whirlwind, and it was absolutely a dream. I never thought I could pull this off. I've always wanted to incorporate travel into my business model, and I'm really excited that we are able to make this retreat work. And everyone walked away learning a lot about their business. And was very vulnerable and open about their business challenge as well, which I found very, very grateful and also very honored to be part of the experience with them. And I'm also really grateful to Elaine from Lemon Lime Interiors. You probably seen her speaking at this year's SagerCon and also being our podcast previously as well. Elaine just is such a great businesswoman, and she has a very solid business foundation and a lot of corporate business training and coaching background. So I feel very honored that she basically took a leap of faith and was willing to come to Italy with me to co-teach the master classes. And I think all of our participants benefit a lot from Elaine's expertise and experiences, in addition to my perspective on running a home staging business as well. And all of them walked away with very concrete action plans in terms of what they're going to do and work on this quarter, so they can be ready for 2023. And I think one of the best things for me is to see how people change and transform themselves throughout the entire week. In the beginning of the week, some participants feel very self-conscious about where they are in their home staging business, and they felt very uncomfortable in sharing the different aspects of their staging business. But as the week went on, they became more and more confident because they start getting that clarity of what they need to really uplevel their home staging business. So that was very exciting for me to see. All the participants were super into it as well. I think that's something that was really great too. Because I think one of the things that I was really afraid of was people going to show up and they're not going to participate. And I think having that active participation and interaction really made that experience so much more special and impactful as well in terms of the work they've done on their home staging business. And obviously, because it's Italy, people definitely had a little bit of fun as well. I just hear stories about people going out, enjoying glass of wine and the nightlife in Palermo, and then also I've seen some new jewelry and clothing when people show up in the morning. So people definitely been shopping as well. 
So all in all, I think it's just a really great, fun, and impactful week. And I really thought that all the participants got together as well, and they are going to keep getting together after the retreat to meet monthly for their own mastermind. And I love that they took the initiative and organized that themselves because in order for you to sustain the action and keep all the great work that you've done in the retreat, it's consistent action, right? So that's why having mastermind, having that accountability is really important. We're also going to be checking in with them as well to check on their progress. So yeah, I'm really excited for our five participants. I really hope that they will take everything they learn throughout the retreat and then apply that into their business and more. And for me, it's really exciting too, because, you know, I've always wanted to incorporate travel into my business model and people are already asking about the next retreat. So that is very comforting in a way, because as you do something new that no one else is doing in the industry, you do have that fear too. You know, even though I've been in business for a long time now, I still have fear about performing. I still have fear about, well, am I doing the right thing? Are people going to respond to it? Or is this a terrible idea? You know, things like that. So I'm really grateful to the friends who just show up, you know, like Elaine and also my friend from my MA program in photography. He flew down to help me take photos and also help out around the trip. You know, things like that really made me feel very grateful to the people I met and the teachers I have within my own business journey. So it was something for me to get out of my own comfort zone as well. And I'm really excited to be planning the next one. So I think next one, we're going to probably stick around the same timing, late September, early October, because Italy is still pretty warm during this time of year. Like last week, we were totally in shorts. I went to the beach a lot, actually, previous week when I got in early. You know, it was great to go to the beach and swim in the ocean and things like that. I'm able to, like, wear short sleeve and shorts, just really have proper summer weather. And it's really strange right now to be back where the heater is on. I'm wearing a coat when I go out and a hat. So, yeah, so it's a total different, completely different experience now. It feels really surreal that I was just in Palermo last week up to a couple of days ago. Those are some of the things we're looking at, I think, for next year. We're definitely going to be sticking with retreat into part of our business plan for the school since people are finding it helpful to have that kind of intensive experience. So, yeah, we're looking at Florence for next September or October. We're also looking at doing a longer trip as well. So, yeah, so if you have any questions or ideas, feel free to DM me on Instagram. I'd love to hear it. And also we're thinking about planning them domestically in the United States as well. So I'm looking to dates. I'm not super sure yet, but anyway, it's all part of the planning for 2023. For today's episode, I interview one of the most celebrated and experienced stagers in our industry. Based out of Toronto, Canada, Lori has been staging homes professionally since 2012. Her extensive background experience in interior design earned her a certified staging professional designation and was quickly named RISA Real Estate Staging Association's Top 10 Rising Star in 2013. Her talent as a pro home stager has been recognized ever since, earning her top awards every year in the categories of vacant and occupied staging, and most recently, luxury staging. In 2020, she won the highly coveted Top Staging Team of the Year Award. Lori praises a strong emphasis on continued education, and her certification include International Master Stager Elite. 
She was North America's first professional homestager to be awarded the exclusive luxury staging specialist designation in 2018. This enabled her to expand further into the luxury real estate market, as well as into photo styling for luxury hotel chains across North America, as they upgraded their online branding and imagery. Lori is also the select luxury staging partner and speaker for the Institute for Luxury Home Marketing, based out of Dallas, Texas. Lori places great importance on giving back and offers her time as an approved mentor for the CSP training program, as well as serving on various committees for the Real Estate Staging Association. So yeah, so you would tell from today's episode that Lori is a total powerhouse in our industry and with good reason. And for our next episode, I'm actually interviewing Sonia, who works for Lori. I think it'll be an interesting perspective that in this episode you're hearing it from a staging company owner's point of view to see their perspective from working inside Lori's company. All right, so let's start the show. Hi, Lori. Welcome to the show. So, before we get started today, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and also your home staging business? Hi, Cindy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I started off in staging basically just after 2011. I had exited a family business that I was in for about 16 years, and then always wanted to get into interior design, but decided that I didn't really want to go back to school for four years. So somebody said to me, "Well, why don't you get into staging?" And I said, "Oh, okay. I never thought of that. Let me let me go see what that's all about." So I did my staging course, and I basically took the next six months after my course to really prep my business. I wanted everything to really come across to new clients as if I had been in business for years. So I took a lot of time developing sort of my presentation folder and my invoices and my just all the client-facing documents and any materials that I would need for my business. I really took the time to make sure that those were really polished and looked really great. So then I took my first client in January of 2013, and sort of the rest is history. <laughs> That's amazing. So, how exactly did you find with staging? Like, how is that different with everything else that you've done before? Well, it's totally different because I actually went to university for financial accounting. <laughs> so I worked for a, an accounting firm for a few years, and then I was. Controller for an industrial automation business for, like I said, 15 years. So I was behind a desk crunching numbers for my entire career before that. So I was just always creative on the personal side, and I always just, I just was done with being in front of a desk. I just needed to do something where I was meeting people and getting out and just being more creative in in my day. That's amazing. Was it a difficult transition, and also was it scary because you're going into a completely different industry from what you were doing before? Yeah, in that circumstance, it was kind of scary. But I have to say that my business background was really, really instrumental in letting me be sort of successful and grow properly right from the beginning. I think. Because I'm a numbers person, and my team always teases me about my magic spreadsheet. I have like the secret spreadsheet on the side where I like keep everything, <laughs> even though we have accounting keeping systems and the whole bit. Like I still have my magic spreadsheet, but I feel that that business background and the knowledge of how to run a business and how to make sure you're making money. <laughs> a lot of stages don't really understand their costs because they come at it from 
the creative side and maybe don't have the business background, I think that that was truly instrumental in in helping me be successful or be at least on the right track for the very first years. It's so easy to blow your brains out when you first get started in this business. So yeah, that was really important. I would say for anybody starting new, take the time to go back and take a, a really good business owner's course or business management course, or, you know, even just basic bookkeeping. It's really important. Yeah. I would say the financial piece is very important. I think actually it was really shocking that when I started to teach, I realized actually a lot of people don't really know about their numbers. They're not actually even sure what exactly considered as profit and then how do they account for every single cost essentially that goes into the job, including their overhead. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of what I call hidden costs or costs that people don't really realize are are costing them time. Like even things like opportunity cost. Like when you're spending as a business owner, when you're spending the time potentially, you know, organizing things in your warehouse or destaging even, you could better use that time to be doing consults or making relationships with new realtors or whatever and pay an assistant or pay somebody to do that kind of work for you. It's really important to keep that in mind. Yeah. And what is your local real estate market like? I think it's pretty universal right now that the pandemic was unexpectedly busy. (laughs) I think at the beginning of the pandemic, we all sort of thought, okay, let's hunker down and just we'll get through this. We'll figure it out. But then, you know, six months into it, it just exploded and, and real estate was crazy again and home renovations were crazy again. So we sort of rode that wave and it's been amazing for a couple of years. But then now in, I would say March, it definitely started to turn. Interest rates went up, the economy is changing, people are getting nervous. And so things have definitely like come down into a bit of a slowdown. We're lucky in that we have a very good roster of loyal realtors that are full-time realtors. They're not hobbyists, so they always sort of have something going on. So whether the market is up or down, staging is still really important. It's almost even more important when the market is down. So the good realtors will know that and still value your services. So we are still trucking along and, and having jobs in the pipe, but definitely the heat is off from what it was earlier in the year. Yeah. But I actually, having gone through recession, I feel like when the market is slower, home sellers and agents are actually more open to stagings because because they have that FOMO, right? They have that fear. Oh, we really have to do everything we possibly can to make sure the house sells. Right. And for the highest price possible, obviously, right? Yeah. They don't want to leave any potential money on the table. They know that they have to come out of the gate looking their best right away. They can't take anything in the market for granted. So yeah, absolutely. I think that's the thing with this business is you can never take anything for granted. It's just always really up and down with real estate, isn't it? It's very unpredictable. You never know which way it can turn. Mm -hmm. I find that too, if you're flexible with your offerings, then you could fit yourself into little opportunities as they come along. So for instance... A few years ago, one of our realtors said, you know, we think it's really important to maybe update this house a little bit. And can you help us with paint colors and selections and picking tiles and all those things? Absolutely. 
So then I charge a different design rate for those services. And then when that seller said, oh, you transformed our house so quickly just before we were selling, can you help us with our new house? So then absolutely no problem. So then I go and help them with a little bit of, you know, design work with their new house. So sometimes if staging is a little slow, we're busy with some renovation projects or some, you know, updates, remodeling or decorating projects for other clients. And then when that is a bit quiet and staging is busy, so we can sort of fill in the blanks when we have these other services that we are offering as well. That's great. So how many services do you currently offer through your staging company? We basically broke it down to that we're basically 50-50. We've grown into 50-50 staging versus design and renovation. And now we're also offering, we have a, a new senior designer on our team and he does incredible 3D renderings. So that has been really instrumental on the design side of our business in terms of showing people the potential of what the house could look like and, and off we go. But I've also used it in staging when, for instance, there's not time or budget to potentially renovate a kitchen or to change a room that that a seller has sort of used very specifically to change it back to a normal room or things like that. We've used a rendering on an easel (laughs) to show buyers, you could do this. This kitchen could be transformed back into a regular kitchen or for general needs or whatever. So, so the renderings have become quite valuable, even on the staging side of the business. So if it's something that stagers can't do necessarily in-house, definitely partner up with someone that you can farm it out to when the opportunity arises. And it's totally different than virtual staging. I wouldn't call it virtual staging at all, but the 3D renderings of potential renovations are important so people can see. That's really fascinating. I really haven't heard anyone incorporating 3D rendering into their staging proposal process. So do you do that during the proposal process or is it more like an added service that you add onto your staging package? Yeah, it's definitely an added service because it's not inexpensive, (laughs) but I can generally suss out the opportunity in the consultation. For instance, there was a penthouse condo that was beautiful and it had beautiful views and it had a huge terrace. The terrace was probably as big as the condo. And there was so much potential on that terrace. And they were really trying to upsell that, trying to figure out how we could stage it to make it look really fascinating. I mean, we all know as stagers, we're a little bit limited. We could, you know, put a patio furniture there and a tree there, but it's really not, you know, showing it to its full potential. So I got a rendering done of what that terrace could be. You know, if you did full green screening and built-in benches and all of these kinds of things. And again, up on an easel and they were used in the listing photos and that condo went crazy over asking. It went like $900,000 for asking. It was, it was nuts. That's amazing because I think you're what you're doing is you're showing that potential of that space, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of times, like you said, like staging, it really is purely cosmetic, isn't it? Like it's not like I always say it's a bit like plastic surgery. It's really just Botox. It's not like a mm-hmm. nose job where you're really making a huge like structural changes essentially. Right. So yeah. that rendering is very helpful to help buyers to bridge that gap. Yes, and the other time we used it very effectively was. It was a very large home and the sellers were 
Orthodox Jewish. So their kitchen was doubled. And this is what I was referring to of the kitchen. They had two islands, they had two fridges, they had two stoves, they had two of everything, which really limited the kitchen and there was really no eat-in space for the kitchen. So we did the rendering to show that if you removed that side of their half of the kitchen, you could still keep one side, but then build in a banquette and build in a coffee station and build in a little bit more living space in the kitchen or eating dining space in the kitchen. You know, that hasn't been on the market three times over three years. And in the first four weeks, they got three offers once it was transformed and presented properly. So the rendering, I think, definitely helped. The realtor was thinking that they needed to attract somebody from the same culture, the same religion, to be able to, you know, appreciate those things. But we act- it actually sold to a family from a different culture because they could see the potential of changing things up without too much investment. That's amazing. And do you find that it helps you getting remodeling projects as well on the flip side? Let's say the buyer has seen your rendering and they're like, well, yes. we want Lori to come back. Yes, exactly. Can she just come back and do this for us? <laughs> so, absolutely. I yes. love that. Yeah. So you offer quite a few services. How big is your current team? We are between 11 and I would say 14 if you count sort of the occasional stagers. Mm-hmm, but we're pretty much 11 solid. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That is a huge team. How do you manage it all? They are fabulous. They're very independent. And we've spent a lot of time on practices and procedures and the way we do things so that we're not reinventing the wheel every time so that we have the systems and people can just look things up and when they have a question. We have sort of a communication board. We use Slack as a team communication platform. So every job has its own little channel and everything noted is in there. So we've spent, like I said, we spent a lot of time on processes <laughs> and that enables people to really work independently and it goes really smoothly. I've also pretty much only hired trained and certified stagers. I don't have casual labor per se on my team. So everybody is already of the mindset. They're trained. They know what they're doing. And everyone really likes to work together. So it's really great. We all know that staging alone is brutal. (laughs) It's really hard to stage alone and it's not fun and it's hard. So it's much easier when you've got a few people there with you and, and and after a while, after doing so many jobs together, it just becomes sort of like clockwork. It just becomes natural, you know, like you, you see your dentist and the hygienist sort of just working in tandem and they don't really talk to each other. They just hand each other t- the tools and they know what they're doing, right? Because they've done it a million times before. We joke around that our team is a lot like that. That's really funny. And what is your recruitment process like? One of the things I was really surprised when I went on your website to prep for the episode was I saw Sonia McDonald on your website. Yeah. And when I met Sonia like years ago, or it feels like years ago, she had her own staging business. So what was your usual recruitment process like? Are you always hiring as well? Like, are you just always looking for talent essentially? Essentially, yes, because we've just continued to grow over the years. We've always had to add. Sonia is a great story because basically she had started her staging business, you know, about seven years before I even came onto the scene. So she was also working with another very busy, very experienced stager. 
And that stager was a mentor for the staging training program. So when I did my course, I went out as an apprentice <laughs> on their job. And I found out that Sonia just lived like five minutes up the road from me. So I said, oh my gosh, Sonia. I said, you know, if I, if I get a couple of jobs, will you come and help me? Would you be able to help me? She said, sure, I'd be happy to help you. So we really just got along really well and we worked together really well. And we're, it was great being so close to each other. And yeah, she just ended up working with me more and more and more. And I guess she was also at a point where she she saw the value in just having a great staging day and going home at night and not having to return messages and chase realtors and worry about payment and all that kind of stuff. So I developed an incentive program as well for stagers who were joining my team. If they did bring along some of their realtors, then they reaped the rewards of that. So to integrate them into our business. So yeah, it's been really great. She's been with me ever since and definitely a key part of my business. I love that. It's really a win-win situation, isn't it? Because you still get to be creative and have the freedom of it and you don't actually necessarily want to run your business. I think a lot of stagers might got into business realizing afterwards that actually I just want to do staging. I don't actually want to run a business. It's a different set of mentality, essentially. Absolutely. And I always encourage people as well to spend some time, you know, working for an experienced stager because you will learn a lot of the pitfalls or a lot of the, the tips and tricks and what, what to do, what not to do, rather than having to reinvent the wheel yourself and to learn the hard way. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for your team, is it mostly stagers or you have movers or do you even have salespeople as well? I recently hired what we call a marketing strategist. So she handles some of the social media and we're doing a rebranding. And yes, you saw the old version of the website. So the new one should be coming out soon. And yes, she's doing some promotion for us. So, but I would say that we are our own best salespeople, you know? So now I don't truly have an official salesperson. We do hire out our movers. I don't have a full suite of furniture. That's one thing that I didn't do from the very beginning is I kept to only small pieces of furniture only that we could handle. And I didn't get into a large warehouse and big sofas and dining tables and things like that. So I didn't actually need full-time movers on, on staff. Potentially getting into that moving forward but I sort of took my time and didn't get too heavy into overhead with inventory early on. I was trying not to. That's really fascinating. I think most people have the conception that if you want a big staging business, you have to have the big warehouse and all the furniture that comes with it essentially for the job. So can you tell us a little bit about your process? So what is a, a typical staging project like? It looks like you do full vacant and you do luxury homes as well. So you do need the large piece of furniture. How do you approach that? Yes. So I have an amazing relationship with a rental partner in Toronto. I have been loyal to them since day one. So we have a really great relationship. They have been fantastic in allowing me to spec certain kinds of furniture that I'd like them to have available for us. So I go on buying days with them. I suggest things from different manufacturers with them and they happily purchase it for us. And because of the volume that we do, we do get a little bit of a better rate. So 
they do sort of keep a suite of luxury furniture just for us that don't go out to other stagers. So that's fantastic. And then other times I have a little bit of furniture because back in previous years when homes would, when they would renew for say the big luxuries, they would renew for four or five months. Then when it was time to destage, I would actually contact the rental company and say, well, this has been rented for five months now. So how much would it be for me to actually buy this out from you? A lot of times it would be a great price. And so I would decide to keep that furniture and store it and use it in my next luxury project. So I'm always sort of looking for little opportunities to save money or to grow. I think that's amazing. So what does a typical workflow like for you guys? Because I think one of the challenges with having your own inventory and your own movers, you also have to coordinate that on the rental side as well. So Mm -hmm. do you feel that logistically sometimes a bit challenging? Yes, because we have, you know, for each job, we will have a certain amount of things coming from the rental company, you know, mattresses, large sofas, sort of the heavier pieces. And then we have certain things coming from our warehouse or our our extra storage that could be side tables, night tables, you know, a few accent chairs, those kinds of things. And then from our main warehouse, we have all the decor artwork, you know, small pieces, soft goods and everything else. So what we've done is we definitely about three or four years ago, potentially, we set up an inventory control system. So we use Stageforce and everything is barcoded everything. (laughs) We bit the bullet and did everything. So it's really great because everything is specified as to which warehouse it's in or which location it's in. So literally after we do a consult, I can pick up an iPad or my computer and I can just start dragging and dropping product into the job, especially if I'm like, oh, that the specific artwork is going to look amazing over this fireplace. Or if I have some key things that I know I want to use in this job, Then I drag them into the rooms and then Sonia or the team will then pick up the process at that point and they'll fill in greenery, they'll fill in bedding, they'll fill in, you know, all the other things and and they double check and make sure we have everything that we need in every room. And then we can print off the lists as to what comes from each. So then we know this is what we need to order from the rental company. This is what's coming from our little furniture stash. (laughs) And this is what's coming from our main warehouse. So it sounds complicated, but it actually runs super smoothly. And was it a big learning curve when you have to adapt to a new system like stage fours, for example, for your inventory? It was a large investment in time that summer to input everything. And that's where, you know, you can hire some high school summer kids or things like that. That that data entry is perfect for people like that. But I think that once the systems were in place, everyone was really relieved to have them because it makes life so much easier. And I found that they're not always waiting for me then. It's all there. It's all lined up in a shared drive. We have the consult photos. We have the pick sheet. We have everything. So everyone knows where to reference everything else that they need. And it just falls into place really nicely. I love that. That comes up a lot, actually, I think with stagers. 
wherever they are in their business. I mean, this come up a lot when we did SagerCon last month as well. Mm-hmm. Is there a perfect time or an ideal time that you should have an inventory system? Because I think most of us start with our brain, right? I think that's yeah. how most businesses function. But I think at one point you have to start investing into systems. So when is that for you? I think at the very beginning, when somebody starts their staging business, decide on your five-year plan. Decide on your intentions. And it's totally okay either way. I 100% respect everyone if they know what they want to do with their businesses. If they want to keep it small and manageable and just really enjoy what they do and cherry pick the jobs that they want to do and not really be in a hamster wheel of a grind. If they want to keep it small, that's great. Then they don't necessarily need to invest in, in a big system like that. They can keep a spreadsheet at minimum, keep a spreadsheet because you will have to do some year-end accounting. You do have to know how much you've spent on inventory and things like that. So I think if you're going to keep it small and that's your goal, fantastic. I think if you do plan that, okay, I'm starting a new career. This has to work for me. This needs to be income generating. This is profession, not a hobby. Then start right from the beginning because if you do it a little bit every week, As you grow, then it's not a big chunk to to bite off. Yeah, it's like a volcano versus a mountain, right? (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Like when we decided to to implement the inventory program, we already had more than 3,000 items. So it was a lot of work, (laughs) but totally worth it. Totally worth it because then when somebody... For instance, if a house is staged and the realtor calls us at 1030 at night, he goes, I've got an offer on the table, but they want to buy the main floor fully furnished, <laughs> right? I'm like, okay, one second. And I just go to my, my program and I print off, it tells me how much is in the house. So I say, just add $8,000, add $10,000 and we're good to go. You know what I mean? So it's perfect. The information that you need is right at your fingertips. I love that. I mean, I feel like data is power, isn't it? And I think with your financial background, especially, are there key metrics that you definitely track in your staging business? Mm -hmm. I track, obviously, the simple ones, number of consults versus staging. So our our success rate, our conversion rate, right? We track vacants versus occupies. We track which stagings turned into design work (laughs) or extra work. Obviously, gross revenue versus growth profit, inventory turns. So we always watch how many times our products are being used in a year. So we know for each piece of art that's been out seven times, you know, so when somebody wants to buy it, I'm like, okay, we've done well with that piece of art. We can sell it for 50 bucks. You know what I mean? So we watch that. Like I said, I'm a bit of a numbers geek. So, so we do watch a lot of numbers. (laughs) I think it is necessary because especially there's so many things that go on. And also like even with sales and conversion, right? Like mm-hmm. if you go on 10 consultation or estimates and all of a sudden your closing rate is coming down, then you need to mm-hmm. figure out what are some of the things that's happening that's affecting that, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think people also forget that, for instance, when they're buying inventory, it's not just that, that say, this centerpiece cost you $49 right? It's, you had to go to the store, you had to 
figure it out. You had to bring it back. You had to set it up. You had to decide how it was going to work. Da, da, da. You know, and maybe it was on sale. So maybe the true value of that was $99, right? So we always base our rental prices off of the true value, like the retail value of it, not what we were lucky enough to pay for it, right? If we were lucky enough to get it on sale or on clearance, then that's extra for us. Then that's just smart being, you know, smart business. But the value to the client should still be, that should still rent for 30 bucks or that should still rent for 20 bucks. You know what I mean? Just because we bought it for less doesn't mean that we should give it away. Exactly. So you're basically calculating your rental price off its retail price, right? Mm -hmm. Not your acquire cost, like wholesale, for example. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. Smart. Yeah. And generally it's, we try to set it such that things are, if they're rented three times, then they're paid for. So that's what I base it on. Some of the more expensive things obviously have to go out a little bit more than that, maybe five times before they're paid for, but generally it's three times. Then they're revenue generating. <laughs> Love that. And then, so, because most of your stuff, is not furniture, right? So for accessories, usually three times it's gone out. It's already made its money back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. I love that you're really be able to tell exactly when does this piece become income generating and then paying for itself. I think that is so important to find out as a business owner in terms of how our inventory is performing. Yes, exactly. And I often see on the forums, you know, people say things like, oh, you know, the homeowner wanted to buy this or that. And that's my favorite this. And that's my favorite that. And I just try to encourage people, don't get emotionally attached to your inventory. Like if it's made money for you, you can buy another one or you can get a better one. Or it's a, it's an opportunity to to refresh your inventory and get, you know, newer things. So for, in our business, everything is for sale. Nothing is <laughs> taboo, really. Love mm-hmm. that. And so you have so many team members now. How do you make sure your staging is consistent across the board? Because depending on the, who the lead stager is, right? Maybe they have their own personal style and things like that. But how do you make sure that it's consistent every time when a client hires you? Mm-hmm. They are really great at choosing things the way I would. You know, they always revert back to, would Lori do this? (laughs) And I'm usually involved in most of the larger consults. I'm involved in all the luxury consults. I'm involved in any of the consults where there might be an opportunity to update, change light fixtures, change paint, or do a little bit of prep work before we stage. And then we just, you know, we just talk about it or I'll sort of set up in, in the system you know, like I said, those key pieces of art or whatever that I'm thinking of for this house or or we just communicate, you know, well, this definitely needs to go mid-century mod or this definitely needs to be very high end and more traditional or this, you know, needs to be very modern. So we sort of set the tone of what the style is or the main color flow or whatever is going to be for that house and off they go. Yeah, it's usually really great. And to be honest, I'm often totally pleasantly surprised. Most of the time I go to the house towards the end of the day at about 1 2 o'clock and just help pull things together and fine tune any art questions that they had or things like that. And I'm usually really surprised and I'm just like, wow, I would have never thought of doing that. That looks fantastic. You know? So a lot of times they're teaching me things too. And as a group, you know, we're stronger together and we're better together than individuals for sure. 
Love that. And do you have a training process? When your new stager is coming in, because I know you want stagers who are already taken some sort of training. They're already trained. They're not hobbyists. Mm-hmm. But when they come into your company, it's a certain kind of culture. You have a certain way of doing things. Do you put them through some sort of training again? There is definitely an onboarding. I would say it's more about our processes and our procedures and our systems rather than how to hang a piece of art or how to the basics of staging. So there is definitely the onboarding just so that they can see where to get the information that they need or, or how our workflow falls into place and how we do things. So because most stagers come from, you know, a more independent style of working. And so when we have so many people and so many moving parts, it has to be automated <laughs> basically. So that's just really the onboarding process but it's not really just takes a couple of days. It's not really a huge training thing. Yeah. And I just find it fascinating because I feel like with a big team, especially with staging, there's so many moving parts. Also, Mm -hmm. it sounds like you're doing the console and someone else may be doing the staging as well. So how do you make sure all the communication, everyone's on the same page? You've mentioned you use Slack, but is that everything that you guys do to do that? We generally go out at least two people on a console. So it'll be me plus who I think will be the lead on the job, or it'll be the lead plus one if I can't make it. So it's always best to have two brains or if somebody is sick or is off with COVID or something. Luckily, we haven't had a lot of that. But if somebody, for some reason, can't follow through with the job, then the other person has been there. They've seen the house. They know what the plan is. So that's super important. So we have a shared drive where... Every property has a folder and everything that you need is in the folder. And then we have Slack, which is just really the communication board. It's like a dashboard for anything to do with that property. And we found that that really saved the back and forth and the texting because you lose track of who's doing what and who's got the information and who knows the lockbox code and all of those things. So if it's all in Slack, it's all in one place, then it's really great. We have a CRM which is a, a customer database. So any, any correspondence that we do, you know, back and forth with the client on it is copied into the CRM. So if they need to say, oh, you know, did Lori send them the renewal fee for this yet? They can see that, yeah, she sent them the letter. So generally most things are pretty open. The whole team has access to everything that's going on. So they can see that the checklists have all been, you know, ticked off and, and we're good to go. That's great. Yeah. And I think Slack is easier in that sense. There's like app on the phone and there's individual channel, right? So essentially yes. they're individual properties. So it's all in yes. one place. Yeah. So we have some general channels. So for instance, we'll have an inventory channel. We have a general. We have, you know, a bunch of anything to do with the vehicles or the warehouse. And then we have a channel per property for sure. And then those just get archived as the job is destaged and finished. Yeah, that sounds perfect. Mm-hmm. And now that you've grown a very successful home staging business, what were some of the things you wish you had known when you first started in the business? Are there things you wish you could have done differently or changed? I think had I known that the business would have grown to this point, I might have invested in more furniture earlier on. That being said, I'm very glad that when the pandemic hit, I didn't have 
a huge warehouse and huge overhead to carry for that much time. It was sort of easy for us to just hunker down and sit tight. (laughs) I don't have too many regrets. I'm quite happy with the way things have turned out. I'm very grateful. I have an amazing team, super people to work with, very reliable, very loyal. They've been with me, you know, many of them the whole time, you know, eight years, nine years, seven years. So we don't have a lot of turnover. So I think we're doing a few things right. And I think people are generally happy and we have some very good and loyal repeat realtors and clients. And yeah, things are going well. That's amazing. And did you find the pandemic has changed your business in any way? Well, I did at the very beginning. Obviously, we all shut down. We hunkered in, switched to offering some virtual services and some Zoom consultations or FaceTime consultations. That didn't take off as much as I thought it would. It definitely helped to show people that we're still here. We're not going anywhere. (laughs) We're going to make it through this and we're doing whatever we can to make it through this. And some stagers did really great with the virtual consultations, but I found in, in our market, more sellers were just happy to just sit and wait until things got a little better. Or we devised some pretty creative ways to do things. Like for instance, if they did need us to go in and see the house, they would literally meet us on the driveway. They would leave we would go in, (laughs) you know, or they'd sit outside in the backyard. We would go in, see what we need to do, and then meet back out on the patio if we needed to talk about things. So there was ways that we did things without, without putting anybody at risk. So the pandemic was definitely interesting. And the big boost of business that came out of it was a big surprise, but a welcome surprise, but a big surprise. I think more people expected real estate to slow down during the pandemic and instead it went the other way. I think people were trapped in their house and maybe they realized how unhappy actually they are in their house after spending an obscene amount of time in it. So they wanted change. Yeah. They wanted to live by the water or live in a nicer place since they could work from home now. They didn't have to be in the city or in a space that was too small for them. And that was another thing with kids learning from home and parents working from home, they needed more space, 100%. Yeah. And what would you say attributed to your success for your home staging business? I think just the great people that we have, all of our clients always give huge compliments to, you know, oh, Sonia was so great. Natalie was fantastic. And Nancy was amazing. And Laura was so much fun to work with. And so everyone always gives great compliments on the team and they like that if I'm not available for some reason, it doesn't affect them. They're still going to get a fantastic result. They're still going to get a great staging. We never really say, no, we're too busy because we can always make it work because we have enough people that we can always accommodate whenever clients have a request. So flexibility, professionalism, and just willingness to say yes most of the time instead of no, that's been a, an attribute for sure. And I think one thing is, you know, your numbers very well. So you know where your bottom line is. You can intelligently refute any sort of pricing objection or things like that or answer clients' questions mm-hmm. because of that confidence. Yeah. And I've always said, 
to people right in the consultation or even right on the initial phone call. If you're making your decision on price alone, we will not be your chosen stager. You know, we are very rarely, we are never the lowest price or the lowest quotation if that's what they're looking for. But we will always provide, you know, we're confident in the value that we provide and the results that you're going to get. We always say it's temporary money. You know, it's going to pay for itself multiple times over and we've got the experience to get that return for them. That's great. I love that. Because I think one of the things I think a lot of, especially more newer stagers they struggle with is that, well, how about their pricing objection, right? Mm -hmm. The client might be like, well, we found someone cheaper. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And that's okay. That's okay. Because then we're just going to run ourselves into the ground. Everyone's going to be exhausted. You get better and resentful if, if you're basically giving away your work or losing money at it. And some people think that, oh, well, I own my own furniture, so I don't have to charge, like, so I can take a lower fee. Well, I personally disagree with that because you had to buy that furniture. You have to store it. You have to maintain it. You have to move it. You have to clean it, all those things. So whether I own my furniture or not, because I do own, you know, a few sofas and a few dining tables and a few things. So whether I own it or not, I charge the same rate, whether I'm renting it in or, or it's coming from me. So yeah, I just think it's really important to know your numbers and to know your value. You know, I learned once, I think it was Kimberly Selden that said, your price is your brand. Your price is your brand, right? So if you look at I'm going to use a car. If you look at a car that's $50,000 versus a car that's $10,000, which one do you think is better quality that's going to last longer, is built better, right? Or if somebody charges $200 an hour versus somebody who's charging $75 an hour, who do you think has more experience or is better at what they do? So price sometimes signifies the quality. And if if you're aiming for a client who's looking for quality and value for their money, then you'll be okay. You know, it's funny. I've also learned that, and I learned this pretty much early on, is, for instance, if I would charge more for staging, I would generally win those more than if I charge less. When I charge the going rate, or say I was charging $4,000 versus $8,000 for a staging, at $4,000, they would probably look at it and say, well, how could she do everything that she's promising to do for $4,000? Like when the person across the road is giving the same price and she seems to be just more casual about it sort of thing. Or, or if they've got an expensive home, they think that maybe the lower price is not going to be as nice. Or it may look cheap, or they're afraid that things are going to be low quality or damaged or whatever. So at the higher price, they're more confident that they're going to get nicer furniture, a better result, nicer art, all of those things. So sometimes people are very willing to pay the higher price because they feel more confident in what they're going to get. And they worry more at the lower pricing of how it's really going to be. Yeah, I do think pricing is psychological. It also has, you know, it, it has that perception. It is part of your brand as well. It's really difficult if you are branded as a cheap stager. It's basically getting typecast. It's really difficult to get out of that. Because people mm-hmm. are like, well, you're able to do the staging for this amount of price. Why do you want to raise your price now? 
Mm-hmm. The other thing that I was always really, I'm still very perplexed by it is I don't understand really why staging pricing is different in different areas because I would think that to rent a sofa in one city is the same price to rent a sofa in another city, right? And just because a stager is in a different state or province than another stager doesn't mean that their hourly value is is any less. Like I, I feel that staging should be staging regardless of where it is. I have a hard time understanding why it would be cheaper somewhere else unless the costs of the inventory and everything else is also dramatically cheaper. Yeah, we do see that in the Bay Area, actually, because I think within Bay Area, the economic status is a little bit different, even from county to county, even just 20 miles away, whereas a lot of San Francisco agents, sometimes they come down to Peninsula to hire stagers because what we would charge on the Peninsula is typically cheaper per square feet compared to what a San Francisco stager would charge. And they're taking advantage of the fact that the Peninsula stager didn't know what San Francisco stagers are charging, right? Mm -hmm. So even just 20 miles apart, I can see how that happens. You know, I I think that's fairly Bay Area-ish because county to county usually sometimes are divided by bridges. You Mm -hmm. go over Golden Gate Bridge, that's Marin County, where real estate is much higher, actually. You got Mm -hmm. much bigger houses, more multi-million dollar properties, that are larger in size in the sheer amount of quantity you need for inventory. Right. So, yeah, so I can see how that happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is strange. And I, I do think, I think that's the thing. It's really hard, right? Because you can't really talk to each other about pricing in the sense that you don't want to come up as price fixing where everyone is charging exactly the same price. But also because it's a service, there's actually a lot of moving parts. It's just like getting a haircut. It's a haircut, right? But this salon might cost you $150 and the next one can cost you $20. And I think ultimately it comes down to the differentiation that the stager presents. You know, we use visual, right, to sell the house, but it's the same for stagers as well. So when I teach students, I always feel like you really need to focus on the type of story that you're presenting of who you are as a stager. We interviewed, you know, top producing real estate agents, not even in the county, but in the state. One of the things she really said was, it's really about the point of view when I'm hiring a stager. Mm-hmm. I have many different types of listing as the broker of an agency or, you know, of a real estate brokerage. So I need different type of stagers for different type of listings. It's not a one size fits all situation. Mm-hmm. And I totally understand that. But the thing is that I really value when the stager is very distinctive. When you go on their website, you immediately know what style they're they're presenting. Mm-hmm. And that is very helpful from a hiring point of view in the sense that they know exactly what they're going to get for mm-hmm. that listing. Everybody would just like haircut, right? Everyone can cut hair. I mean... My ex used to cut his own hair. So <laughs> it's $0 or you go to, you know, I don't know, Supercut, pay $10 or $20 now, or you go to a fancy salon and pay $150. Sure. Yeah. But the thing is, there's that value in difference. Sometimes I go get my hair done because I want to look really nice. They know how to take care of my hair properly. Whereas mm-hmm. my ex won't necessarily know how to cut <laughs> my own hair. So yeah things like that. I think it's a value also you present to your client in terms of 
what you're bringing to the table. And I think your company is very clear in terms of your point of view of what you do and also the type of value that you bring to the project. And that's why you can beat out the cheap stagers because they simply cannot match your quality and the level of experience that your stagers have. I'm glad you could see that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is true. Yeah. You also touched on something in terms of speaking to other stagers. And I always encourage people to reach out and get to know your stagers in your area. There is more than enough work for everyone. Like I don't necessarily worry about competition or feel that I have to beat out the competition or this person is in my neighborhood or they did a job in, in my territory or anything like that. Like there is more than enough work for all of us. So we actually have a group of stagers in the area that we all go out for dinner. We talk and we give each other tips and we even give each other referrals. Like, oh, I, I can't do this one. Like, or it's, it's more towards your area. Would, would you take this for me? You know, so we definitely support each other and help each other and share tips and tricks and, and strategies and things. And we're all better for it. And it's just elevating the quality of staging that and the quality of work that realtors are expecting. So if more realtors know that this is how good stagers work, then it's going to benefit all of us in the end. So I'm very open with my fellow stagers in my area. I I don't consider them competition. I don't feel threatened. And I hope they don't feel threatened by me either. You know, we're here to help each other out. So I encourage collaboration for sure. Yeah, that's a really healthy way of doing business. I think that's a really healthy market because you actually need competition to survive. You know, if you're like the only company in town, then you don't have to do a very good job, right? But the thing is the consumer loses. So I think it's actually really healthy that you have a group of sagers who share the same value where there's enough projects out there for everyone. That Mm -hmm. makes a very healthy market to work in. Yeah, we're always liking each other's Instagrams and cheering each other on and all that. It's fun. It's fun. They're great. I love that. So to wrap up our show, what is the number one tip you're going to give to Homesager when it comes to building and growing their homesaging business? I think we'd circle back to know your numbers. Know your numbers. It's not glamorous. It's not fun. It's, you know, work that you're going to do at 11 o'clock at night in front of your computer. But once you get a handle on your numbers initially, then you're good to go. If you let your numbers get away from you, then it's very hard to backtrack and figure things out. So I think really having a knowledge of, are you making money? (laughs) Do you need to raise your prices and have a plan to grow, have goals, you know, okay. In order to reach the next level, I need to do five consults this week instead of three, or I need to do 10 consults this week instead of seven. So know those kinds of things in order to support your goals and help you achieve what you're looking for in your business. Love that. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help and support the show, there are three ways to do so. You can leave a review and rating on iTunes. You can share the show on social media, or you can donate to support the maintaining costs for the podcast. You can make a donation through the show notes or on the sidebar of our site. 
If you haven't left a review on iTunes, please do so. This will help us grow the show and book more guests. If you have any questions, feedback, and suggestions, you can comment on the show notes. You can also find the show notes by going to stagemore.com/podcast. That's it. Have a fantastic week and happy staging. Music